0: Welcome to the Rick Reed sermon podcast Rick serves as the president of Heritage College and Seminary where he has the joy of preaching God's Word and training the next generation of preachers the sermons on this podcast are taken from Dr. Reed's preaching ministry in churches conferences and at chapel services at Heritage Thank you, John. As some of you may not know, John actually has served on the board of Heritage College and Seminary, where Linda and I serve. And so, John, uh, both for what you do at NBC and also for your connection with us at Heritage, I really am grateful to you and for the ministry that we have here. What a a great place, and we've had a wonderful week so far, so thank you. Uh, I mentioned I, I serve at Heritage College and Seminary in Cambridge Um, And one of the things that I love most about working with the students who come either for one year of Bible in the college level or even a full degree at the college level or at the seminary level for uh, training. Some come just for a year. They're not sure where God wants them to go in life. They're young, just out of high school, and they come for a year and just get some Bible foundation and training and direction. Some come with a sense of God's calling on their life. They want to be a pastor or a missionary, or they want to work with a Christian agency. Wherever they come, though, they have one defining feature that I love about our students. They want their life to count for Christ The students that come our way, they want to know God and they want their one life to count for Christ. They get the fact they only have one life and they want to make sure they don't waste it. I sense as I talk to our students, they want to make sure that what they do on earth echoes into eternity. And I think that's a good and godly desire. In fact, I think God puts that same desire in all of his children. When you come to know Christ, one of the things that shows that you have new life is that you have new motives, new desires. And one of those desires is to have your one life count for Christ. He's given you life. You want to give him your life. You want your one life to make a difference on earth in a way that echoes into eternity. How do you do that? How do you live a life on earth that will echo into eternity? How do you have a fruitful life on earth for Christ? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. And I want to take you to a passage that probably more than any passage I can think of in the Bible answers the question, how do you have a fruitful life? The passage that I'm referencing is in John chapter 15. So, would you take a Bible if you have one and join me in John chapter 15? This week at NBC, our series is called An Open Secret The Secret of the Christian Life. The Open Secret of the Christian Life. And I've summarized it in three words The Open Secret of the Christian Life is union with Christ. How do you accelerate your own spiritual growth? How do you learn to overcome sin? How do you learn to face adversity? How do you bear fruit? The Bible drives it back over and over again to your relationship with Christ, to your union with Christ. And today, we're going to see that literally out of your union with Christ, you can have a fruitful life. You want to have a fruitful life for Jesus? You want your one life on earth to count? This passage tells you it all goes back to your union with Christ. And so today we want to look at that. And if you've come here with the desire that your life count for Christ, today I think this passage has something you'll want to sit up straight and take in deep because it speaks to that. Let me pray for us and then we'll look at our passage together. Father, I do know that I'm surrounded by men and women, many of whom you know their hearts. They have a deep God-given desire to please you they have a stirring in their soul that they want to do more than just kind of kind of float along the cultural downstream. They want to go upstream. They they want their life not just to be fun. They want it to be fruitful. They want their one life on earth to do things that will echo beautifully into eternity. And I thank you that you put that desire in us as your children. So today, would you speak to us? as your children, through your word, by your spirit, so that we might know in a more clear and succinct way what it takes to have a fruitful life for you. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. In just a moment, I'm going to read verses 1 to 8 as our focus text for the morning. But let me just set the stage for it. These verses that talk about a fruitful life, very familiar verses to many of you, these verses happen on the night that Jesus is going to be arrested, the night before he's going to die. What's just happened before these words is that Jesus and the disciples have met in an upper room and they had what we call today the last supper. He washed their feet. He spoke to them. He took the bread and he took the wine and he said, this is my body. This is my blood. That all has just happened. And at the end of chapter 14, if you look at the very last verse, Jesus says, they're still in the upper room. He says, look at the last words of chapter 14, rise, let us go from here. So they leave the upper room and they head towards the garden called Gethsemane, the garden of Gethsemane that's on the outskirts of town on the Mount of Olives. And it was a place Jesus went frequently to pray. So they leave the upper room, and they're now walking through the city and out to the outskirts to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's there Jesus will be arrested. Now, as they walk... Or as they arrive, we're not sure, Jesus says these words that are recorded in John 15 and John 16, we get to John 17, and he prays his high priestly prayer, probably prayed right in the garden. So it could be, it could be that as they walk through town and walk on the outskirts up towards the Garden of Gethsemane, they pass one of the many... Vines, one of the many grapevines. Uh, Viticulture was big in uh, that area of the Mediterranean. It could be that they're walking along, and Jesus, as he so often would do, takes something that was very visible, tangible, common, and make a story, a parable out of it. And so perhaps they walk by some vineyards, perhaps they walk by some vines, and Jesus says to his disciples these words. Listen to them as I read. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Well, those are, those are powerful words, Jesus says. And in them, he talks about bearing fruit, right? He's talking to his disciple. He knows he's about to leave them. He wants their lives to count for, for God after he's gone. So he says to them, essentially, brothers, men, this is what you need to know as my disciples about bearing fruit. So he talks a lot about fruit over and over. Fruit, fruit. Well, what does he mean by fruit? What's he talking about when he's talking about bearing fruit, bearing much fruit, bearing more fruit? Well, in the New Testament, and actually if you go to the Old Testament, fruit is used in a a variety of ways. For example, in the Old Testament, we find that fruit can refer to children. Psalm 127, the fruit of the womb. So sometimes fruit refers to actual physical offspring. In the New Testament, fruit can apply to our character. We think of the fruit of the spirit. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So God's fruit is shown in our character. We look more like Christ. So fruit can be children. Fruit can be character. Fruit can also be, in the New Testament, can be praise. Hebrews 13 verse 15 says, Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So fruit can be kids, fruit can be, fruit can be our character, fruit can be our praise, all of those things. But in this passage, I think Jesus most directly focuses on another kind of fruit. And that is what we would call the fruit of our service, the fruit of good works for Christ, the fruit of our labors. I say that because in the context here, he's talking about your, to his disciples, he's talking about them bearing fruit for God, bearing fruit, doing things that will extend the kingdom of God. If you look back at chapter 14 and verse 12, Jesus in the upper room, just before they left, Jesus in the upper room said this, truly, I, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the father. So he's already said to them, look, I'm going to go to the Father, but if you believe in me, you'll do works. In fact, you'll do greater works. Jesus only stayed in Palestine his whole life. His disciples would be dispersed, and the message would go in a greater span. It would go around the world. So Jesus says to them, I want you to bear fruit for me. And now in chapter 15, he tells them how to do it. So in, in this context, I think Jesus is saying, how do you have a fruitful life in a way that your labors for Christ bear fruit? So that's, that's the question. How, do you, how does that happen? Well, I think the answer comes in our verses. And the first thing that we see, which really relates to our theme of the whole week, the first thing that we see in verses 1 to 8 is this. I put it this way. A fruitful life grows out of your union with Christ. That's one thing you cannot miss in this passage, a fruitful life. If you and I are going to have a fruitful life, if our lives, if our works, if our labors are going to bear fruit for God, you can count on this. It will have to grow out of our union with Christ, our connection with Christ. That comes out very clearly from the metaphor that Jesus uses of the vine and the branches, right? Like, look at verse 1. I am the vine, Jesus says. My Father is the vine dresser. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is using a metaphor, a picture, to help us understand we've got to stay closely connected to him, like a branch to a vine. I grew up in California, California. And I grew up in the Napa Valley. Uh, Some of you have heard of the Napa Valley of California. It's kind of the wine country of California. And when I was a kid, it was, you know, Napa wasn't the artsy, expensive place that it is today. It was just kind of this little beautiful valley. But there were vineyards all up and down the valley. And we would often take drives on Sunday afternoons with my folks. And you would just see them stretching out everywhere, these beautiful vineyards. And in the fall, they would turn gorgeous colors. So as a kid I was pretty much familiar with this idea of a branch hooked into a vine. And uh, what you find is that if that branch it all gets cut off from the vine it's not very good, right? Only when the, there's a vital connection can that branch bear fruit because the life of the vine goes into the branch and bears the fruit. Now Jesus is saying that to make a spiritual point. His point is this. You're like a branch. He's like the vine. If you want to be fruit, if you want to bear fruit, be fruitful, you have to be united to him. You have to be in union with him. Again, union with Christ comes down. You have to have a life-giving connection where his life flows into your life, and then his fruit is born in you. So, A fruitful life grows out of your union with Christ. In fact, we could say, in fact, Jesus says this. We can say the reverse is true. If you're not connected to Jesus, you'll bear no fruit. At least no fruit that God calls fruit. You'll do stuff, but it won't last. It won't echo into eternity. Because Jesus says in verse 5, without me, you can do nothing. In fact, it's worse than that. If you're not connected with Christ, if you don't have that vital union with Jesus, look what he says in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you've ever uh, been around uh, grapevines, you know that the wood from the branches of a grapevine is really not good for anything. It's not like branches of a tree that you can cut down plain and make into something beautiful. Grapevines are kind of, you know, just they're weak, they're gnarly. In fact, uh, the only thing I've seen them be used for is those wreaths that sometimes people make uh, vine wreaths out of. Otherwise, they pretty much fuel. And Jesus says to his disciples, if you don't have a life-giving union with me, here's what's going to happen to you. One day, you're going to be withered, you're cut off. You'll be cast into the fire and burned. Now, those words, maybe not understood at that moment by his disciples, but those words came to help them make sense of what happened to their colleague named Judas. I think Jesus here is speaking broadly, but he's speaking specifically to the disciples about what's going on with Judas. Judas. Let me explain why I say that. If you look at verse 3, Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So Jesus says to the ones who are with him right now, All of you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. But if you go back to chapter 13, turn back a page or two to chapter 13. In the upper room, listen to what Jesus says. So before they left the upper room, Jesus is washing their feet And in chapter 13, verse 10, Jesus says, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Now catch this. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. So when they're around the table in the upper room, Jesus says, you are clean. Well, not all of you. In fact, he said, one of you will betray me. And you remember, the disciples looked at each other, and they said, like, which one of us? Who? Lord, who is it? Who is it? They didn't know. And and then you come to chapter 13 and verse 30. And it says that Judas, after receiving the bread, the morsel of bread, look what it says in 1330. He immediately went out, and it was night. So Judas leaves. So now follow the chronology with me. They're in the upper room. Jesus is with the twelve. And he says, you are clean, but not all of you. And then Judas leaves. And then they all leave the upper room. And now 11 of the disciples go with Jesus. And now he's talking just to the 11 in chapter 15. And that's why he can say in verse 3, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. In other words, all 11, you're clean. The one who wasn't clean is now gone. You see, I think the disciples would have had a huge shock to realize that Judas wasn't really one of them. I don't think they had any idea. When when, G- when Jesus said, One of you will betray me, they didn't all just go, Yeah, we know who it's Judas. Like nobody said that. In fact, what was Judas' role with the disciples? You remember he had a job, he was on the executive committee, he was the treasurer. Typically, you don't make the treasurer somebody you're not pretty sure about, right? So Judas is the treasurer for the group. In fact, he pilfered money out of the common purse there. Judas was one of the ones who was sent out two by two. Remember when Jesus sent out his disciples two by two? One of those other guys was Judas' partner when they went door to door, you know, knocked on somebody's door, hi, my name's Bartholomew and this is Judas and we're here talking about Jesus. Judas was out there, Judas would have said the right words, Judas would have been out doing the evangelism, Judas was the treasurer, Judas was one of them, and Jesus is saying, he's not really connected to me. In fact, he's going to be cast forth as a branch and wither and burn. Now, my friends, that is a cautionary tale for all of us. That is a sober warning for every one of us because what it says is this it is possible to hang around with Christians so much to the point that everybody thinks you're in. It's possible to have a position of leadership in a Christian organization. You can be the treasurer. It's possible to go out and do evangelistic witnessing and not be connected to Christ. Judas did all of those things. And what Jesus is saying is that, you know what what sets apart a true disciple from a false disciple The true disciple is truly connected to me. He is united to me. There is a union. He's like a branch in a vine. So my friends, I have to ask you like I have to ask myself. Are you really connected to Jesus? I'm not saying are you connected to a church. I'm not asking that. I'm asking something deeper. I'm not saying do you do good things. I'm not asking that. I'm asking something deeper. I'm saying this. Is your life intimately connected to Christ? Have you personally, have you personally embraced him as your savior? Have you given him your life and received his life? Have you trusted in his death for you and his life? Because otherwise you could be like Judas. You could be somebody, everybody around you goes, oh yeah, they're good. They're good to go. They're in. And Jesus would say, no, they're not clean. If you have any doubts about that, then you need to make a beeline in your heart to heaven. You need to stop right now, block out everything else I'm going to say, and just talk to God and say, God, I don't want to be Judas. I don't want to be somebody who just looks the part. I want to be vitally connected to you. And I can tell you, you can have that happen today, this moment, because Jesus says that those who come to him in sincerity, he in no wise casts out. So if you come to him right now and you pour out your heart and you say, Jesus, I need you. I don't want to just look the part. I want to be connected. I can promise you he will hear you and he will receive you and he will connect you with himself. If that is the true intent of your heart. And then you can start to bear fruit. Not until. Only then can you start to bear fruit. So first thing we've seen, a fruitful life grows out of your union with Christ. So now we're ready to say, let's, let's say we're, we're clean. We're connected to Christ. How does a branch that's truly connected bear fruit? There's two things I want you to see that are about fruit bearing. And they both come out of verse 7. So it grows out of your union with Christ. But now, what do you actually do to bear Christ, to bear fruit? Look at verse 7. You'll see it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Here is is really the second thing that I want you to capture, but it's the first of the two things about bearing fruit. First, you got to be united. That's the foundation. And now here's when it comes to bearing fruit. Here's the next thing you need to see. A fruitful life not only grows out of your union with Christ, a fruitful life, according to verse 7, a fruitful life takes abiding in Christ's word. If you want your life to count for Christ, if you want to make a difference, you're going to have to abide in his word. A fruitful life takes abiding in Christ's words. That's what Jesus says. Look carefully at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. My words abide in you. So you abide in me, you're united, and now my words abide in you. They live in you. They remain in you. The Greek word translated words there is not the common one. It's not logos, which is the most common Greek term for words. It's the word rhema. Actually, it's plural, rhema. And, and New Testament scholars will tell you that this Greek word that means words, rhema, often speaks of the specific teachings of Jesus, like his specific commands. So what Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you abide in me, you're united, and my commands, my teachings abide in you. They, li- they live in you. If you want to bear fruit, you have to abide in his words. So what does that mean on street level? What does it mean to abide in Jesus' words? Well, I think it means a couple things. Here's the first thing. We got to live in his teachings. Like if you want Jesus' words to be in you, you got to live in his teachings. You have to soak them up like a branch soaks up the sap that comes from the vine. You got to soak up the teachings of Jesus. And how do you do that? How do you abide in his words? How do you live in his teachings? You open up the scriptures and you soak up the scriptures. You want to abide in his words? You got to be in his book. You got to read this because this is where we find the words of Jesus and the words of the apostles that he inspired. So you have to live in this book. Let me tell you about a man who did that. One of my favorite stories, and if you've never read a short biography of George Mueller, you ought to do it. You owe yourself a favor to read. There's many biographies of him. Some are really short, written for kids. Read it to your family. George Mueller lived, he was born in 1805, and uh, in 1836, he started the first of five or six orphan houses for, uh, for orphan kids in Bristol, England. George Mueller was a busy guy. At one point, he was overseeing over 2,000 orphans every day. They had to feed, house, clothe, educate these orphans. Busy, busy guy, big staff. But you know what George Mueller did every morning? He lived in the book. He spent time reading the scripture and talking to God every morning. In fact, let me read you what George Mueller said later in his life. He would teach his young staff to spend time in God's word, to live in Jesus' teaching. Listen to what Mueller says. I love this. He says, and I'm quoting him, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. I love that phrase. First thing, job number one for me every day is to get my soul happy in God, is to have my soul happy in the Lord. It is absolutely needful. I'm quoting him again. It is absolutely needful in order that the happiness in the Lord may continue, that the scriptures be regularly read. These are God's appointed means for the nourishment of the inner man. Consider it. Ponder over it. Now listen to what he says. I have now been doing this for 47 years. I have read through the whole Bible about 100 times, and I always find it fresh when I begin again. Thus, my peace and joy have increased more and more. Mueller said every day, you know what I do, job one? I got to get my soul happy in God. And to get my soul happy in God, I got to get my nose in the book. I got to open up the word, and I soak in it, and I read it up. And I would say, if you want a fruitful life, You're going to have to abide in Jesus' teaching. That's what he said. So you live in it. You open up the book. You read it. You spend time in it. I know you're busy. I know you have other demands. So did George Mueller. But he made a point to do it. When I was in high school, I went to a conference, and the speaker challenged everyone to spend at least five minutes a day reading scripture. And I was like grade 11 or 12, and I thought, you know, I want to do that. And then he said, I'm going to ask you to make a promise that you'll do that. And I don't want you to make this promise unless you really mean it. That you will promise that you will spend at least five minutes a day reading God's word. So I'm, you know, grade 11 or 12 kid, and I'm as serious as I can be at grade 11 or 12. And I just say to God, God, if you help me, I'm going to do this. I was doing the math. It's been about 47 years. And every day, how I start my day like little George Mueller is, I open up the book and try to get my soul happy in God by reading his word. And I would tell you that it's been the most stabilizing, soul-strengthening thing I've ever done. It triggers my prayers. It's, it stabilizes my faith. And I would just say to you, you want your soul happy in God? Then make it a priority to live in his teaching. You want to have a fruitful life? Then you live in his teaching. You read it, you reflect on it, you pray it back to him. You soak it up like a branch, soaking up the fruit that comes, the sap that comes, the life that comes out of the vine. Let me give you another thing that's been very helpful to me. I know cell phones are the great distraction of our age, and they can be a blessing and a bane all at the same time. But there is one app that my wife first told me about that over the last few years has become a biggest blessing. If I throw away this phone, I'd want to keep this app somehow. And the app is called the Bible Memory App. It's not too hard to remember. The Bible Memory App, it's free. You can download it. And I've memorized scripture for many, many years, but I've never had more success and more help in memorizing verses in the Bible than I have with the Bible Memory App. And I would say to some of you, okay, you say, you already read the word of God. Well, how about memorizing it so you can meditate on it? And I'll, I'll guarantee you, if you will try the Bible Memory app, it will help you. It's a bit of a game. It's fun, and it helps you. And I, have, I would just say that it's been a huge blessing because I want, I want to have a fruitful life. And Jesus said, I have to live in his teachings. So you got to be in the book. So you live in his teachings, and it also means you live by his teachings, doesn't it? It's not enough just to read it. In fact, if you look at our text, Jesus says you have to do what you read. Look at verse 10 of chapter 15. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Look at verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So if I'm going to abide in Christ's teaching, if I'm going to abide in his words, i got to live in it, and then by the Spirit of God, i got to live by it. Now I don't do that perfectly nor will you. But if you want to have a fruitful life, that has to be the trajectory of your life. I'm in the book. I want to live by the book. I go into the book so that God can help me see which way he goes. And then I say, Lord, please help me to live this out with the spirit's power. Help me to live by what, you, what you've said. That's the first thing that Jesus says after you united. You want to have a fruitful life? You got to abide in his teaching. Let me show you the second thing. Because, see, it's not enough just to be in the scriptures. Look what verse 7 says. There's another thing you have to do if you want to have a fruitful life. Let me read verse 7 again. If you abide in me, that's union with Christ, and my words abide in you, that's abiding in his words. Here's the next thing. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So let me put another thing on the table. We've already said a fruitful life grows out of your union with Christ. A fruitful life takes abiding in Christ's words. Now we're going to finish off by saying a fruitful life takes asking in Christ's name. You abide in his word, you ask in his name. Okay, united with Christ, then you abide in his word, you ask in his name. A fruitful life takes asking in his name. Verse 7 is one of those verses that should make you sit up straight, make your jaw drop a little bit. Look what he says. Look at it with me. If you abide in me, okay, you're united with me, and my words abide in you, you're living in my words. Now look what he says next. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Wow, that sounds like a blank check on the bank of heaven. Like just... He says, ask whatever you wish. Now, some people have taken this verse to say, oh, man, this is an awesome verse. This is my favorite verse in the Bible. Because I've always wanted a Lexus. Or I've always wanted a, ca- a cottage up at NBC. And I've always wanted, and they start going through these lists. In fact, there are whole Bible teachers and teachers that don't really play fast and true with the word that will just have a lot of kind of name it and claim it stuff. If you can think it, God will give it. You know, and they say, look at this verse. Jesus says, ask whatever you wish. And one of the first rules of good interpretation of scripture is you take a verse in it's context. You don't rip it out of its context. What is the context here? It's bearing fruit for the glory of God. That's what he says. Look at, ask whatever you wish it will be done for you. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. So this is not a verse that just says, whatever thing I want to have to make my life more cushy, I can just ask for that. This is a verse that's specifically talking to people who want to bear fruit for God and saying, in your desire to bear fruit for God, you stay in my words, and then you ask whatever you wish as it relates to bearing fruit for me, and and God will do that because he'll be glorified in that. So let me ask you this. Are you asking God to allow your one life to bear much fruit for him? Do you ask, do you pray for that? Or if you kind of given up, just thinking, you know, I think I'm kind of like a B minus Christian. Probably going to make it into glory, but I don't think I'm going to have much fruit here. Well, maybe it's because you're not asking. Jesus says, abide in his word, ask in his name. George Mueller did that. George Mueller started this orphanage. Let me just tell you a couple stories. I could go on for a long time on this, but our time is almost done. So George Mueller starts every day getting his soul happy in God, reading the scriptures and praying. But then he spent the rest of his day asking in Christ's name as he went through his day. Mueller started his first orphanage in 1836. He prayed for five months that the Lord would provide the house, the staff, the furniture for an orphanage. And God brought it all in. He asked. In fact, Mueller's favorite verse was Psalm 8110. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. He took God at his word. He opened his mouth wide and said, God, here's what I want to do to bear fruit for your name. So he prays for this, and God provides a house. He prays for a staff. God provides a staff. He prays for furniture. This whole place is outfitted. They open up their first day to receive orphan girls, and nobody comes. No girls come. At the end of the day, he's going, Lord, what did I miss? And then he writes in his biography, I realized I never prayed for girls. I never prayed for orphans. I prayed for the house. I prayed for the staff. I prayed for the furniture. So that night he gathers his team and he says, we need to pray that the Lord would send the girls he wants us to care for. The next day, the girls started coming. They had about 30 girls in that first house. Over the next years, they added about five more houses and over the next 35 years, and they cared for over 2,000 orphans. And Mueller said, "I did it all through asking God. I prayed." He kept a log of all his prayer requests. And he said, "Get this. at the end in his autobiography, he said, "I look back over my log. I had over 50,000 answered prayers." And he said, about 30,000 of them were answered the same day I asked. There were times when they had no food, and they would have these orphans to feed, and he would say, "Lord." Give us this day our daily bread. And miraculous things would happen, and God would provide. God would provide. Other things he prayed for year after year after year after year. He prayed for some non-Christian friends to trust in Christ, and he prayed over 50 years for some of them to come to Christ. He died. They'd still not come to know Jesus. But get this. After he died, they came to know Christ. So he prayed for 50 years for some things. And Mueller just believed that if he abides in Christ's words and he asks in Christ's name, he would bear much fruit for the glory of God. Let me give you one last story about Mueller that I love. When he was 70-ish, he began to travel the world telling the story of what God had done for him. In 1877, when he was 72 years old, he took a ship from England to Canada. He was coming to Quebec to speak about what God had done. He had, a, he had an engagement to speak on a Sunday in Quebec. On the ship's journey over, the ship came into this big patch of fog, and the captain told the uh, engineers to slow the ship down because they couldn't see, and they didn't want to crash into anything. But Mueller realized that if they slowed the ship down, he would miss speaking in Quebec on the point of time. So he goes to the captain, and he says, I believe God wants me in Quebec, and the captain goes, well... I don't think we're going to make it in time. And Mueller said, may I have permission to go up to the uh, control room and pray and ask God to lift the fog? And the captain said, yeah, you can do whatever you want, but the fog's not going to lift. I've been out on the sea for a long time. Mueller goes up and asks, Lord, Lord, for your glory, would you lift the fog? And God lifted the fog and he made it to get back on time and he spoke. And he wrote it down in his journal. See, Mueller believed you abide in his word, you ask in his name, not for your glory, but for the glory of the Father. And Jesus came through for him again and again and again. You know, uh, when uh, Linda and I started at Heritage College and Seminary, one of the things we found out um, was that we had a debt, a sizable debt as a school, $3.7 million. And for a school our size, $3.7 million. Is a, is a dense fog to get out of. We didn't, you know, it was like, Lord, we, we don't have the resources to do this. But we began to pray. As a faculty and staff, we meet every Wednesday to pray. And we began to say, Lord, this would so glorify you, and it would so help the school if we could get out of debt. We have no idea how to get out of debt. We have no idea how to get that much money, but we prayed. We asked. And, you know, over the last several years, God started bringing in funds. Sometimes big chunks of money, sometimes small. And last October, we burned the mortgage. And it was a night that we just celebrated. We said, Lord, you've done this. But I sometimes wonder what would have happened if we had not asked. If we had just said, well, I guess we got a debt. I guess the school is always going to struggle with that. Was the Lord waiting for us to do what Jesus said? Abide in his word, ask in his name. So I say to you, my brothers and sisters, this, are you united to Christ? And you say, yes, I am. I've trusted in Christ. I'm linked to him. Then let me ask you the next question. Are you abiding in Christ's word? Are you living deeply in his word? Are you reading it? And then are you asking in Christ's name? Are you willing to say, Lord, I don't have what it takes to do this, but I would love to see you allow my life to bear much fruit. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Listen, George Mueller started at age 70 traveling the world. So if you're a little older, don't think that your time is already, your ship has already sailed, right? Like there's still life in there and there's still opportunity for you to bear fruit for God. If you're young, you've got a life ahead of you, perhaps. You could bear fruit for God if you abide in Christ's word and ask in Christ's name. Here's how I'd summarize the whole thing. Abiding in his word and asking in his name allows you to be abounding in his fruit. May God allow that to be true of your life, my life, for the glory of our Father. Let's pray. Father, this morning we could leave here and just kind of hope that we'll muddle through life, get through this pandemic and then get back to a more comfortable existence. But I pray you would help us to resist that. I pray that you would help us though. We feel that we're in a fog that we can't see how we're the way ahead. I pray that like George Mueller, we would believe you can lift the fog in your time and your way to help us get where you want us to be, to do what you want us to do to bring glory to your father so, Father in heaven, I pray, for, I pray for this. I pray for my brothers and sisters here that these men and women, young or old, would bear much fruit for you in the days, months, years ahead and bring glory to you in heaven. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Heritage College and Seminary, visit the school's website at discoverheritage.ca. To stay connected with the Reeds, visit their website at rickandlindareed.com.